Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. This morning I'm continuing a series called Above All Names. And we're going to tackle two names this week. Two names. We talked about John started the series off with the expected one. I talked about the wonderful counselor last week. And today we're going to talk about mighty God and the everlasting Father. So we're going to tackle two at one time. Somebody said, words have meaning, but names have power. There there is power in a name. And so as we look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, realize that there's power in the names. And they weren't random names that God picked for Isaiah to speak forth. They were specific and for a purpose. And you've got to realize that our names are labels printed on the bottled essence of our past behavior. Ever think about your name like that? That it's a bottled essence based on our past behavior? That is who we are. But that doesn't mean it's, it's going to be who we become, because that's your choice working with a God that can transform lives. Amen? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 this morning. Isaiah 9, 6. I should have it memorized by now, and we don't... Well, we do have slides up here. We'll do that. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be poured, shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Today we're going to look at Mighty God and Everlasting Father. I had to think about what I thought was mighty, but still familiar. This may not be the most powerful things that you think of, but these were a few. The Dodge Charger Hellcat SRT. Muscle car. V8, rear-wheel drive. Certifiably huge. Now... It ranges base price around $30,000. It can run around 204 miles per hour. Don't let me in it. Jeff Gordon qualified in one 201 miles per hour, he averaged. Of course, that wasn't a production. That was customized stock car. They have two keys. I didn't know this. Some of you guys probably know this. There's a black key and a red key. The black key is for novice drivers and valets. It keeps the car under 500 horsepower. The red key is all out. Just give me the red key. Amen? Another thing I thought of was the Navy's electromagnetic railgun which accelerates a projectile from 5,000 to 5,000 miles per hour in one-hundredth of a second. That's amazing. 
And it only takes, there's no explosives, and it only takes one man to launch and load. That's my kind of weapon. Now, Clint, you probably can't afford this. It costs $25,000 a shot. But you got to understand, that's 60 times less than most artillery shells. It's an 18-inch shell that weighs 23 pounds. And it's only effective up to 100 miles. Can you imagine? And then finally, the Athena laser that, that will be soon on our military vehicles. This laser's amazing. At one mile, it is so focused that it can hit a small truck's engine and bore a hole on it. Bore a hole in it, I'm sorry. Isn't that amazing? And if it gets knocked out and it loses a few lasers, no big deal. It keeps on running. Now to me, that's mighty. That's powerful. And I could go into quasars and supernovas and the power of a storm or a tornado or a hurricane and talk about things that are mighty. But God is greater than that. Now, when we think of the baby Jesus, we probably don't think about a mighty God. Emmanuel, God with us. God in the body, in the flesh. An infant. Easily taken. Correct. Counting on its human parents to take care of him. That's what God did. Now I want you to think about this question. What do you do if you're the most powerful person in the room? Think about that. You say, well, I'm not. I'm the president of the United I'm not the president of the United States. I'm not the plant manager. I'm not the lead foreman. I'm not this and I'm not that. But in some rooms, you are the most important person. You're the matriarch. You're the patriarch. You're the lead guy, the lead gal. What do you do? If you will look at John chapter 13, 3 through 5, this is what Jesus did. And you got to remember, Jesus was always the most important person in the room. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a, the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this is the middle of the story. If you're familiar with Scripture, you can go to the Gospel of Luke, see this account, but before that occurred, at the very end of Jesus' life, the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. Here, the most important person in the room did what? Stripped off his clothes, took the form of a servant, the lowest servant, and washed their feet. So what do you do when you're the most important person in the room? Let's look at this mighty idea. Psalms 84.12. Psalms 
This is in the NIV. Now, I cheated today. The pulpit Bible that I prefer is the ESV because it's closest to the original language. But this is this in the NIV because it uses the, the term, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. The psalmist knows who the mightiest person is. It is God. And then in the ESV, it says, O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now, that's the more accurate translation. But if you get down to the the words in the Hebrew, it's the Lord of the horde with a D. And and what what that is calling attention to is that God is a mighty God, a warring God, and, and the Lord of the horde refers to the angelic armies that he commands. But he is almighty. And then Psalm 46.7, it says, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Who is our defender in our faith? Who is the defender of our lives? It is the Lord Almighty. And then Psalm 89.8, it says, O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Hear this babe in the manger was God Almighty. Mighty. And then let's look at Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 17. If you remember with me, Paul writes this, and he reminds the church in Colossae that this God that you serve, this Jesus Christ, this is who he is. He says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Who holds the universe together? It's great expanse, billions of light years apart. It is Jesus Christ. We can't even fathom the, the most elemental things, the building blocks of the universe, and he holds it all together. Jesus had all power and authority. Tony Campolo says this, when they lay you in the grave, are people going to stand around reciting fancy titles that you've earned, or are they going to stand around giving testimonies of the good things you did for others? If it ever comes down to a choice between a title or a testimony, go for the testimony. Go for the story of life change. Just like we heard about in the journey where lives touched lives and called attention to the eternal. So I've got another question for you. So what do you do if you know that you are the most important person in the universe? And I've got to say that none of you qualify for that. Not one of you. Now, some of you think you do. I know that. Here's what you do. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. This is Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Mighty God, born in the likeness of man. That's what you do if you're the most important being, person, in the universe. If you're following along in your (coughs) outline, look for humble ways to imitate Jesus. Look for humble ways to imitate Jesus. Don't leverage your power for your own sake, but for the sake of other people that are around you or in the room. Now I'd like to look at the term everlasting father this morning as well. Everlasting father. Actually, it means father of eternity. That's what it means. And, and what's fascinating to me, if you look in the book of Revelation, it kind of bookends this content. Everlasting father. Revelation 1.8. It says, I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty that he always has been and always will be. He is not bound by time and space. Unlike anything else in existence, there is only one God. And then if you look at the other end, at the very last pass, or not last, last chapter in Revelation, he says again, emphasizing this idea. John writes this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the eternal one, the everlasting one. Now, I I received two comforting pictures from this name, Everlasting Father. And the first image I'd like to talk about is the Father. Walter Wangeren, Jr., shares personal memories from past Christmases. He recalls a Christmas in 1944. Some of you remember that Christmas. Some of you, maybe. That year, in the days leading up to Christmas Eve, Walter's father did the same thing he always did at Christmas time. He went into a room in the house, removed the outside doorknob. Can you imagine removing the outside doorknob? Some of you were children like that. I was one of them. I would break into wherever the presents were. I was. And maybe you were too. Or you would unwrap them and cheat. He had kids like that. He went in the room in the house, removed the outside doorknob so the kids couldn't get in, and he decorated a Christmas tree and stacked presents all around it. As their father carried on the great tradition, the Wangerin kids did the same thing they always did at Christmas time. They stood outside the door dreaming about what awaited them some Christmas morning. That is, every child except Walter. Having turned 10 in 1944, Wangerin writes, I had that very year become an adult at 10 years old. Silent, solemn, watchful, and infinitely cautious. While his brothers and sisters could barely contain their excitement, Wangerin held himself in severe restraint. Why? The Christmas before, Walter had watched a rather traumatic moment unfold. Why? The Christmas before, 
Walter's brother, Paul, had burst into tears. Paul's deep sadness left an indelible mark on Walter, who writes, I was shocked to discover that the Christmas time was not free or safe from violation. I was horrified that pain could invade the holy ceremony. And I was angry that my father had not protected my brother from the tears. Walter adds, besides that if you hope and it doesn't happen, it's treacherous to hope. The harder you hope, the more vulnerable you become. And with all of that in mind, Walter decided he was not going to make himself vulnerable like before. He was not going to hope. He was not going to be caught off guard by whatever might happen when his father opened the door on Christmas Eve. When the time had finally come for the tradition to meet its climax, Walter stood beside his anxious brothers and sisters, the only one with a frown. Walter's father opened the door to the room, and all the wangering kids ran in, gasping and giggling over what they saw. That is, every child but Walter. Walter stood in the doorway, gazing at the tree and the piles of presents. Then he turned to look at his father, who stood there waiting. What he saw caused Walter to have an emotional outburst of his own that Christmas Eve one that was quite unlike Paul's from the year before. He writes, There was my father, standing center in the room and gazing straight at me. And this is the wonder fixed in my memory that the man himself was filled with a yearning, painful expectation on account of me. Everything else in this room was just as it had been the year before, and the year before that, but this was new. This thing I had never seen before, that my father too had had to trust the promises against their disappointments. So sat his steady eyes on me. But among the promises to which my father had committed his soul, his hope, his faith, the most important one was this, that his eldest son should soften and be glad. He gazed at me waiting, waiting, for me, waiting for his Christmas to be received by his son and to be returned to him again. And I began to cry. Oh, my father. Silently, merely spilling tears and staring straight back at him, defenseless because there was no need for defenses. I cried, glad and unashamed, because what was this room for so long locked? which I was entering, why it was my own heart. And why had I been afraid? Because I thought I'd find it empty and hard and unfeeling. But there in the room was my father. And there in my father was the love that had furnished this room, preparing it for us no differently than he had Last year, prepared it, yet trusting and yearning, desiring our joy. And what else could such a love be but my Jesus drawing near? Look then what I have found in my Father's room, in my heart after all. The dearest Lord Jesus 
holy child, the nativity of our Lord. I lean my cheek against the door jam and grin like a grown-up ten-year-old and sobbed as if I were two. And my father moved from the middle of the room and walked toward me, still empty-handed, but he spread his, his hands and arms and gathered me to himself. And I put my arms around his harder body, and so we, both of us, were full. See, our Father has a place for us if we open our hearts to Him. Psalm 91 and 2 talks about this. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever You had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. And Isaiah 40, 28 says, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And he is our father. Hebrews 13, 28 reminds us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. And so... When we think about him being the everlasting father, we've got to realize something, that his love never fades for us. His joy will never diminish. His grace will never be insufficient or inefficient. We stand by his grace. So I've got three to-dos for you today. We've got to realize God's immortality. We, we went through that slide pretty quick. So you guys that are slide or outline OCD, we'll work with you. Just want you to know that. I've got three to-dos for you today. First, share your love this week through Christmas. Maybe even year-round. What a concept. Share your love. And then spread your joy. Spread your joy. This last week was my birthday. Okay, It's okay to say happy birthday. Well, that was well organized. Let's try it again. Happy birthday. I'm not really big on birthdays. I mean, on everybody else's, but not on mine. I'm at... I, I, once you get to be a man of a certain age, it's not so exciting. Kind of go out for dinner, you know, I bought myself my gifts, woohoo, right? So I just want you to know, I received these from my granddaughter this Friday. These are monster slippers. These were not on my list. I posted them on Facebook, some of you wanted me to wear them, I just didn't think it was appropriate. But let me tell you a story about Joy. Micah came in. Her sister was sick on Friday morning. She said, happy birthday. And she, she brought in two bags. And she was just so excited, overflowing joy. Because she knew I was going to love these. Like I said. And my daughter had prepared me. She said, Dad, Dad, uh, 
Mike and Jordan are going to go to Walmart and go shopping for you, and they're going to buy you things that, that they think you need for your birthday. That was kind of preparation. So she just came in with this joy that was just overwhelming. And I just, I just loved it. I loved the joy. It wasn't the gift. It was the joy. And so I opened these up, and I just laughed out loud because... You know, I just had been at their house earlier, and, and Jennifer and the girls all have monster slickers like those, and I'd never seen them before, and I thought they were hilarious. Little did I know I'd be receiving them. And I was excited because that joy was contagious to me. And obviously, I opened them up, I unwrapped them, and fixed them and took my shoes off and put them on and with my socks on. And Micah told me, you know, that or grandpa or pop pop, uh, we don't wear socks with those. I said, okay, I'll take note of that. And we sat on the lazy boy and enjoyed that morning together. You know, that kind of joy is what we get to do year round because of the joy that has been given to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And then finally, extend the grace that we have received to others all the time, just not Christmas time, as we have been forgiven. And we've been forgiven much. And when I meditate on the idea of mighty God and everlasting Father, I am overwhelmed with who he is and that he wants to have a relationship with us. So unmighty and so unlovable and so imperfect. And I'm reminded of that when I think of a holy God but he loved you so much that he came to earth defenseless and emptied himself for you, that you might know him as Lord and Savior and to be and to live with him forever. Isn't that awesome? Amen? Will you please stand as I close in prayer? Father God, we just, again, are reminded of how mighty you are.